Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Well, this week, as you've already heard, we begin a new series called The Table. And voila, we have a table. I wonder how, whether we're going to have fresh bread every week. We're going to have fresh every... It's great, isn't it? What... When you, when you think of someone saying the table or having an image of a set table, what sort of things come to mind? And it's not a rhetorical question. So call out some one-word answers. What comes to mind? Food. Sharing. Family. Friendship. It's good. What was that one? Nice dinner. Nice dinner. Yes. Yes. Too right. Anything else? It carries a lot of meaning, doesn't it, actually? It evokes a number of different responses, perhaps, to us. Laughter. Life. Maybe struggle. Maybe tenseness. Tenseness? Tension is the word. Sharing. Conversation. It's a rich kind of image. Well, this series that we're starting out on today is about participating in God's story together. And the table is an image of shared life and community. All right? So it's about participating in God's story together. And the table image is about shared life and community. And over the next five weeks... Some of the things we're going to touch on are the fact that everyone is welcome at this table. All belong and all are invited and valued. We all have something to contribute when we come to the table. We have a part to play in God's family. And there is always room for others. It's an open table and we're an open family. And funnily enough, we're actually sent from the table to invite others to come and join us. And of course, as people identified, at the table is relationship and conversation, and it's at the table we have to figure out how we do life together. We need to work through our differences, figure out how we get along together. So as we begin this series, let me, let me pray. Father, this series title, The Table, is not just a fancy name. It is, we hope, something that not only gives us a better understanding of what it means to be part of your family together, but it will be a series in which you will speak and you will challenge you will shape and form, and you will change lives. So God, as we explore this theme together, be God in our midst. 
be host at our table and give us ears not just to hear preachers' words, but the words of your spirit. So we commit ourselves to this journey over these coming weeks and look forward to all that you might do. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're sort of setting the scene, really. We're wanting to lift our eyes and gain a picture of what kind of table and what kind of environment we're talking about. When you see a table, what does a table tell you about the host? Think about a, a, a memorable table setting. Maybe it's a wedding feast. Maybe it's a Christmas dinner. Maybe it's a romantic setting. There's all kinds of different contexts. But what does the, the setting of the table tell you about the host? Do you notice how welcoming it might feel? Is it formal? Is it casual? What happens around the table? Is the conversation centred around the host? Or are you able to contribute? Is there interest in you as well? Are you a co-contributor to the experience around the table? Not just in conversation, but perhaps moving things, passing things. Maybe even you've brought something to the table. And maybe you're involved in cleaning up or um, clearing things or changing uh, for the various courses. There's all kinds of different things that go on at the table, aren't there? Well, the table we're considering, as human as this one looks, we're actually considering God's table. A table where God is the host. He's the one who invites us to the table, and he is the one who welcomes us and includes us. So, to unpack that a bit this morning, I want us to look at what you might think is a strange text. It's in Luke chapter 5, and it's the, just a, a few verses where Jesus calls Levi to follow him. So let me read from Luke chapter 5. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, they asked. And Jesus answered them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Levi, better known to many of us as Matthew, one of the 
inner circle of Jesus, the 12, the apostles, the disciples, whatever name you want to apply to them, uh, the one whose account of Jesus' life carries his name, the Gospel of Matthew. But his life was not that at this point. He was Levi, a tax collector. It's important for us to understand the significance of this. You see, the taxes were being collected by the Roman occupiers of Israel. They were a conquering nation. And they had imposed structures over Israel, including the collection of taxes. And the taxes were collected and and handed over to the puppet government that was in place in the nation under the occupation. There were two types of Roman taxes that were generally applied. There was a, a, a tax on property and income, but there was also a customs tax. They reckon it was set at around 2 to 5%, so it was cheaper than GST, but a, a customs tax that was placed on the movement of goods. So it's likely that Levi's sitting in his booth collecting these taxes. But the Romans knew... They found out by bitter experience that if the tax collectors were Roman, then the zealots, the the, the people full of zeal and rebellion in Israel, a great way to cut off the supply chain was to kill the Roman tax collectors. So they outsourced it. They franchised it and sold it to the Jews, knowing that a Jew will very rarely kill another Jew. So they sold the tax collecting, and such tax collectors as Levi became literally despised by other Jews. They were collaborators. They were profiteering from the occupation. They were held in such low esteem that they couldn't even bear witness at a court. They were excommunicated from Jewish places of worship and excluded from all religious contact. They were ranked with prostitutes and with others who rejected Jewish customs and laws. This was Levi's life. They were outcast, bottom of the run, even though they may well and often were be financially well off. Levi, socially isolated and cut off from his religious community life. Now Jesus, at this time, had been roving the countryside through Galilee, teaching, and had a great reputation as a rabbi and teacher and healer. And the crowds were gathering around Jesus without any slick promotion at all except word of mouth. But when it comes to the calling of Levi, we have these few, brief, concise verses. Each of the accounts, we've read from Luke, but they're also contained in Matthew and Mark, all of them to point to the fact that this very popular rabbi came to Levi, approached Levi. And there's no record of any discussion. Just the simple words uttered by Jesus, follow me, follow me. 
The quickness, the quickness with which we can read these words belies the significance of what is actually happening in this encounter. That Jesus has come not to pay a tax, not to correct or rebuke, not to challenge or condemn. He has come to this ostracized, isolated member of the community to invite. To invite. And Jesus, in the words, follow me, invites Jesus to become a disciple of a rabbi. It's an invitation to inclusion in what he is doing. He invites him to come and join in with his other followers. And do you begin to see the incredibly radical shift that is taking place just in this small interchange? It's a massive transformation. It's the kind of transformation that is really hard for me to uh, illustrate. Uh, the, the closest thing I can come up with is uh, going to be a really poor illustration, but I'm going to go out on a limb anyway. Um, I'm going to use a technical illustration. You see, I have a love-hate relationship with technical equipment, with computers and with mobile phones. While they're working and doing what I want them to do, I love them. It's great. But the tech heads, every now and then, think it's good to change things. Now, I can, I can, I can cope with an upgrade. You know, it's annoying, but I can cope with an upgrade. I can find things and replace them where they were. But when they change the operating system and the programs that you once had become literally obsolete and everything changes, the whole interface changes... I find it really annoying. Jesus, in effect, when he was walking around Galilee, teaching and modelling and living and healing, he was bringing in a whole new operating system, not an upgrade. He's modelling and operating under a whole new way of doing things. The change is so complete that the old way of doing and being is becoming obsolete. No wonder he gets pushback. No wonder there is resistance. No wonder there are challenges to what he is about. We all struggle when things change. But this new age was breaking in. A new age is in a time of forgiveness and of grace. It's what God has always promised. It's what the prophets had consistently spoken about. But now, forgiveness is here. It's walking along the streets. It's available to all who repent. Follow me. And look at Levi's response. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Left everything. It's an indication that he was walking away from one thing and walking towards something new. And that's the definition of repentance. To turn yourself 180 degrees, to turn away from 
and to turn towards. The word in the, uh, in, the, in the Greek that is used for repentance is also used for a boat when it capsizes, when it goes, turns turtle. So that which was the bottom becomes the top. A complete reversal. And this is what God calls people to as he brings the forgiveness and grace to the world. And Levi's response is a wonderful illustration of this. Leaves everything and follows Jesus. Now at this time in Jesus' ministry, it's important for us to recognise Jesus wasn't yet seen as the promised Messiah. He wasn't yet being looked at the the would-be king of Israel. Rather, they saw him, as N.T. Wright puts it, an odd combination, a doctor throwing a party. A doctor throwing a party. A doctor because he went around healing people. Physical ailments, yes. Spiritual ailments, yes. But also people like Levi, people who uh, had, bad, had become um, social outcasts, sometimes because of their behaviour and lifestyle, other times because of the jobs that they had. And throwing a party because Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God, like the prophets throughout history, was a great feast where all are invited. And the people of the time, some people of the time, didn't like it because it meant change. Some of the current norms were being upset and becoming made obsolete like the inclusion of tax collectors but Jesus rebuffs his critics you see he is responding to a call a call that was mentioned in our time of worship where Jesus utters those initial words about who it is that he goes to with the good news he's responding to a call to be a kind of doctor and who needs the doctor says Jesus Hello, the sick, the sick. We, in our culture today, live in the luxury, probably for one of the first times in history, where we go to the doctor when we're well, for a checkup, just in case. That is not the history. Who needs a doctor? The sick. So Jesus needed to be with the sick. He needed to be with those who need his healing, not with the well and the healthy. It reminds me of the parable of the lost sheep that we find later in Luke's Gospel, in Luke 15, where there is a picture of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he knows where 99 of them are and he's quite happy to leave them to look after themselves and just go after the one who needs him, the lost sheep. Jesus' whole life and ministry was to bring health, not just physical health to the sick, but health to the whole nation of Israel and ultimately health and well-being to the world. So what is the implication of this? What, what if, just for a moment, you imagine, what if right now mercy is alive and active 
and celebrated in the world? What if God is creating a whole new order even as we sit here this morning? What if God in his mercy is inviting you individually, you and I, and yous all to join in and to enjoy it? The party theme, the wedding feast, the celebration of fullness of life. This is a theme of Jesus' teaching and modelling all the way through. Remember the words of Jesus in Jordan's Gospel when he says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So as we walk the streets, as we uh, shop in the shops, as we teach in the schools, as we uh, spend time with neighbours, friends, family... Are we the ones who are living full lives with celebratory approach to life? Or are we dour and down and not filled with joy but concerned about the woes of the world and lose sight of the celebration of the mercy and grace of God that is present amongst us? Just last week, in a staff devotion, uh, we were reflecting on another passage in Luke, also from chapter 15, um, the, the parable of the prodigal son, it is commonly known as. But it's, it's really about a, an interaction between a, a loving father and a, a wayward younger son and a resentful older son. And as we were sitting in the text, something bounced out at me which I hadn't seen before. It's a passage I'm very familiar with. I know the father runs to the young son as he returns from his waywardness and embraces him and celebrates him. But what struck me was the son who was a beneficiary of all of the father's estate and had been in the father's presence all the time but was resentful about the celebration of the wastefulness of this wayward son and stayed outside the party, the father still went to that son as well. You see, the father moves towards both. And in that uh, parable, the father is the image, or the, the, it represents the father who is our God. You see, God moves towards us. He moved towards Levi. The invitation is extended freely to all. Everyone is welcome at God's table. Everyone. You cannot look in the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to God and who isn't invited to the table of God. So the challenge for us as followers of Jesus in the room, the challenge for us is to see where in the world and perhaps in the church, people are living as though the old operating system was still in play. Where folk are living uh, as if this wonderful new life has not yet burst upon us. And to call it out. And to speak joy and hope and peace and mercy and grace and forgiveness and invitation into those settings. See, we have a task. It's not an onerous task. 
The task is to live out this new life. To live a celebratory life filled with joy. And to invite others to join us in doing so. Jesus throws a, uh, Jesus, Levi throws a great banquet. His life transformation is significant. He throws a great banquet. And not surprisingly, considering the fact that he was a tax collector and isolated and, uh, and um, pushed away from society, most of the people at his banquet and his friend circle are, guess what? <laughs> tax collectors. And others who are isolated and shunned for some reason or other. And he brings Jesus into his circle of associates and he gives opportunity for them to also hear the invitation. All are invited. Now later on in Luke, in chapter 22, there is another significant meal. In fact, Luke is full of significant meals. This one occurs some three years later after the calling of Levi. Jesus has gathered with his close 12. It's a bit of a bigger table than this probably. It says they're reclined at the table. It's a lovely terminology, isn't it? Reclined at the table. Now I know in the Eastern context, that's what they did. They reclined. They didn't sit on nice backed chairs or stools, but still the image of being reclined at the table is one of being relaxed, enjoying the moment. The conversation with friends and colleagues and fellow disciples, the familiar celebration of the traditional meal of Passover. And Jesus takes this moment to change the operating system. He shifts it to speak now of God's, well, his mercy and his grace that actually leads to everyone being invited. Everyone, not just the nation of Israel. Out of slavery, out of captivity, the meal was about remembering that, uh, the faithfulness of God in leading the Israelites out of Egypt. But now it means leading out of captivity, slavery to anything. It could be an addiction. It could be ego. It could be anything that robs us of the joy and the fullness of life. And he points to his death, to the cross. Where he would make it possible for us to come into God's family, to receive God's invitation. You see, it's all God's mercy. You and I, sadly, we will never be good enough to earn an invitation. We will never have our lives in such order that in some way we warrant an invitation. 
only out of his grace, only out of his mercy and his love does God receive us around his table. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, put it this way. He said, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still separated from God, Christ died for us. So it's Passover. And at this meal, Jesus took bread. And he broke it. And he said... This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'd invite you to take your communion cups. And as I break the bread, you can peel the cellophane. When you get through to the wafer, just hold it for a moment. At just the right time, Christ died for us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his life his ministry. We thank you for his willing surrender to the cross. And we thank you that because of him and through him, you've made it possible for us to join your family. We give thanks for the body of Christ. Amen. Let's eat together. Luke goes on to tell us that in the same way, after the supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, the new promise, the new commitment of God to his people, to those he is inviting to his table. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So it's appropriate as we sit at the table together, at least metaphorically, let's raise our glasses to Jesus. Father, we thank you for your table. We thank you for the imagery that it evokes of us reclining with you. 
intimately in your presence, together as sisters and brothers, sharing life and the journey. And we thank you that you have made this all possible. Fill us afresh, Lord, with the fullness of your life. Not with a superficial smile, but God, a smile that is filled and an expression of the joy that you have placed in our hearts. And where that operating system that we work with still needs uh, full implementation, be at work in us, God. Continue to transform us. And help us to be those who willingly, openly, intentionally invite others into the joy that we ourselves experience at this table. Bless you, God. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your nearness. And thank you for your love. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.